I'll never forget the first time I attended a Unitarian Universalist service. I'd been raised Roman Catholic and was still an Episcopalian. I'd never experienced what I can only describe as a loosely structured New Age kind of almost Protestant service that was led by a funny, wise curmudgeon of a minister who didn't talk about God and who referred to prayer as focusing our collective consciousness. As I greeted her afterwards, I let the minister know that I was a first-time visitor and a lapsed Episcopalian. Her response was interesting. Our service was weird, wasn't it? Yeah, well, (laughs) that morning, my partner and I were strangers in a strange land. We didn't know anyone at that church, and I didn't know anything about Unitarian Universalism. It was a bit intimidating, even for an off-the-scale extrovert like me, and I wasn't sure we'd be welcome as a gay couple. But the minister um, escorted us to coffee hour, a ritual I knew plenty about, and introduced us around. We were warmly welcomed by people who wanted to know who we were and how we'd found the church and what we thought about religion and politics and sex and the best restaurants in town. (laughs) That day, I not only felt like a celebrity, but I felt like I'd come home. When I first came to this church for a winter solstice service seven years ago, and I was welcomed and blessed as I entered the sanctuary, I had that same feeling of coming home. In the years I've been a part of this church, I've also heard many of you say that when you found First Universalist Church, you had a feeling of coming home as well. Why do we seek to create a place in this world we call home, a place to return to again and again? Because it's home. It's that place where we feel safe, where we are welcome, where we can be ourselves in all our wonder and our flaws and our total humanity. Den Menaces says that home is a place of renewal, He writes, and we always emerge the better for allowing ourselves to delight in the breathtaking vista of off-trodden pathways and old familiar places, the welcoming embrace of cherished faces, and the fond memories evoked by things not at all withered by time. Home is where you and I are reminded of who we truly are and where we remember once again the hopes and the dreams we have for life, the passions that stir our souls. It's home because we know there's a place for us. In its truest sense, coming home is receiving the gift of hospitality. By hospitality, I am not referring to Martha Stewart and her perfectly set theme table. Nor is hospitality about a cruise ship or an elegant hotel where there's a mint on the pillow at bedtime. The so-called hospitality industry has co-opted the word and created a very profitable business out of a practice that is ancient in its origins and present in almost every culture in the world. One of the best-known accounts of hospitality is in the story of Abraham and Sarah in the Hebrew Scriptures. Three strangers approach their tent. These three guests are offered a place to rest, water to wash off the dust, and an excellent meal of bread and roast meat from a tender young goat. The three strangers might have been enemies, but it didn't matter. The rule of hospitality in biblical times was strict. Friend or enemy, if someone showed up asking for food and water or a place to stay, you were bound not only to ask what they or to provide what they asked for, but to also guarantee safe passage through your land. People had to travel through enemy territory frequently, and hospitality became a mutual agreement for survival. In fifth century Europe, travel was very dangerous, and there weren't bed and breakfasts or a holiday inn at every exit on the highway. Monasteries 
following the rule of St. Benedict, cultivated the practice of caring for the stranger and the poor and the needy, and the Benedictines were the first to start hospitals. Hospitality, hospital, and hospice all have their root in the word hospi, which means to save a life, to provide something someone needs to live. Now, that something might be a meal or a place to sleep. It might be the support and care needed to weather a crisis, the space to share a triumph or reflect about a failure, or simply receiving a warm welcome. The feeling of belonging, of being welcomed and included, is as much a matter of survival for human beings as is food, water, and shelter from the elements. We need one another throughout our lives, from the moments we're born, through all those passages we go through, until we die and the earth embraces us once again. To help meet this basic biological need to be together, we create community, including this house of memory and hope we call our spiritual home. Each week, we gather here to share our deepest longings and highest aspirations, to be renewed and reminded of who we truly are, and to come home once again and be held in the arms of the love that binds us all together. Each week, visitors come to our church. They may have heard that Unitarian Universalism is a liberal religion that challenges people to become their fullest, most authentic selves. Some visitors have been to a memorial service and were so impressed with how we affirm the reality of death and celebrate life that they wanted to know more about us. Some people come seeking refuge from a harsh, death-dealing world, hoping to find the spiritual well from which they may drink and be refreshed. And there are those who have been oppressed, abused, or denied the right to live fully and have been dying spiritually for years as they seek to come home to that place where they are welcome and are finally free to be themselves. What every visitor is seeking is hospitality, the opportunity to find something they need in order to live. Uh, first, or a second reading, David Reineck, he tells a story about his own church and their struggle with hospitality. He writes, If you decide that this practice of hospitality is at the heart of who you are called to be, you must acknowledge the gap between the aspiration of being welcoming and the reality of your practices. At First Unitarian Church in Worcester, Massachusetts, we realized that despite our best intentions, we were practicing what we came to call the New England welcome. It goes like this. We sincerely welcome you into our church as long as you know how to get here and know what to do and know your way around. We'll be happy to talk to you if you initiate, and we promise not to bother you. (laughs) We were sincere. But we realized that if we really wanted to practice our values to include and invite everyone, we would have to learn some new ways of being. I believe such a new way of being is found not in just saying good morning and handing someone an order of service, but in radical hospitality, which came from the rule of St. Benedict. Radical means extreme or revolutionary or out of the ordinary. And Benedict tells us that radical hospitality begins by listening. The rule says... Listen carefully, my child, to the instructions and attend to them with the ear of your heart. Listen with the ear of your heart. We tend to surround ourselves with people who are like us, people who agree with our politics, have similar backgrounds, are the same skin color, and lead their lives much as we do. This is natural because most of our intimate relationships are built on what we have in common. The problem is that these social circles often exclude those who are not like us. We also become comfortable and complacent 
and do not grow spiritually. To listen with the ear of the heart is to put aside our own agenda, judgments of another person, assumptions that we know what someone needs or wants, our fears and prejudices, and to open ourselves to the other, those who are not like us and who may challenge us to see the world and others in new ways that may not be comfortable or easy. In the book Radical Hospitality, Benedict's Way of Love, Lonnie Pratt tells a story about how she worked through some of her prejudices and fears about Muslims in order to help a man and his family who were refugees from Pakistan. She says that he was very different from any person I had ever known. He was Muslim. I was Christian. She goes on to say, I thought Muslims disliked Christians. I thought Muslim men did not like or respect women. He had exploded the preconceptions of my clenched little heart in only a few hours. Lonnie spent the next six weeks tutoring the family in English and teaching them about American culture, but they taught her something far more important. In being able to open her heart to really listen, her fears and prejudices vanished. The word hospi also means both guest and host. As one writer says, Hospitality requires that we welcome the stranger, but if we remain unchanged by the encounter, that in itself does not constitute radical hospitality. Radical hospitality is mutual, an opportunity to practice being our most authentic, our fullest selves, not only by giving the best of what we have, but by opening our hearts to receive the best of what others have to offer us as well. In the book Radical Hospitality, Father Daniel Homan writes, Hospitality is a spiritual practice, a way of becoming more human, a way of understanding yourself. Hospitality is both the answer to modern alienation and injustice and a path to a deeper spirituality. And like any spiritual practice, hospitality is hard work. We live in a world that seeks to distract us from the work of becoming more human. Instead, we are promised instant gratification in every aspect of our lives. Our culture alienates people by using class and race and gender and politics and religion to divide us. Fear, hatred, and suspicion arise in creating injustice and oppression. Each of us is also constantly bombarded with messages to encourage a consumerist mentality that everything, including other human beings, is an object for our consumption. Even a lot of churches are getting into the act and trying to figure out what goods and services will attract more people. Do we really want to be spiritual convenience stores where we fill people up with hope, love, and courage, collect an offering, and then send them on their way? And in this society whose God is capitalism, where consumer spending drives the economy, virtually everything is made to wear out quickly or falls out of fashion and needs to be replaced. Is it any wonder we treat people as the same way as objects to be disposed of if we feel they have nothing more to offer? Radical hospitality challenges us to overcome the fear and hatred and suspicions that divide us and to stop treating others as an object for consumption. We are instead invited to enter into deeper relationship with one another, what theologian Martin Buber refers to as an I-thou relationship. I-thou is the core of our first principle, which asks us to affirm the inherent worth and dignity present in every human being and to welcome everyone, Democrat, Republican, liberal, or independent, gay, straight, bisexual, or transgender, Christian, Jewish, atheist, or goddess worshiper, people of all colors, races, creeds, and politics, street people we just as soon ignore, those whom society marginalizes and oppresses, 
everyone. But I thou is not just about how we treat others. It is an equation of equals, and the I in this formula is just as important as the thou. I thou asks us to remember our own inherent worth and dignity and to practice a generous self-care that acknowledges our right to receive what each of us needs to live and to be treated with dignity and respect. It does not ask us to check our values or morals or boundaries at the door, but to combine love with justice and to hold ourselves and one another accountable. I thou demands that we speak up or act accordingly when another person's worth and dignity has been disregarded or damaged, regardless of whether that person is an enemy or a friend. In an extreme case, it might even mean asking someone to leave and not return because their behavior is a threat to the safety and welfare of others. At the same time, entering into a deeper, more loving relationship with others may mean that we make our own comfort or needs secondary to the needs of others. Did anyone see the uh, Sunday comics a couple of weeks ago? I read the opus strip every week, and I'm surprised at how well the comics speak to the human condition, even when the characters are animals. Opus is a penguin, and he's been thrown into prison for criticizing the government or not shopping enough for some equally unpatriotic activity. He's sharing his cell with a dog, and in the storyline two weeks ago, they're talking about what they've been put on this planet to do. Neither one is really sure. At the end, when it's time to turn in for the night, the dog warns Opus that... The floor makes a heck of a cold bed, and he says, I wonder what a warm bed feels like. In the last frame, the dog is curled up on top of the penguin. Opus had nothing to offer about life or any deep insights into what anything meant. He had nothing to offer except himself as a source of warmth and comfort in a cold jail cell. But that was enough. That is radical hospitality. We might even have to risk our very lives in order to save another person's life. Our heritage as Unitarians and Universalists is full of men and women who are willing to put themselves in danger to defend the inherent worth and dignity of others. Unitarian minister Theodore Parker offered sanctuary to slaves who had run away. He was in such danger that he kept a loaded pistol at his desk to fend off bounty hunters who knew he harbored slaves. James Reeb, a UU minister, was murdered in Selma, Alabama in 1965 as he took part in a civil rights march to protest the unfair treatment of African Americans. And just this summer, when a gunman entered the Tennessee Valley UU church and started shooting, Greg McKendry threw himself in the path of a bullet to protect others. He gave his life so that others might live. Would you or I be willing to do the same? At its deepest level, radical hospitality is an opportunity to grow our souls because I, thou, is an encounter with the holy. When we meet and receive one another with open hearts, we meet the sacred face to face because it is present in each one of us. No matter what we name it or believe it to be God, the web of all life, the unnamed mystery, spirit of life, or our highest potential, each of us carries a spark of the holy within us. Now, in the story of Sarah and Abraham, it turns out that the three strangers are angels bringing life-changing and powerful news, which is what angels do. Sarah and Abraham don't know it, but they're meeting and receiving the holy. The angels promise Sarah and Abraham, who are old and have no children, that they will be the parents of a great nation and their descendants as numerous as the stars. 
Sarah hears this news, laughs in disbelief, and she is thoroughly chastised for her cynicism. I wonder how often you or I don't open the ear of our hearts to strangers because our own prejudices and fears and our cynicism gets in the way. After all, how can God possibly be present in that dirty homeless person asking for money or that irritating coworker who gossips all the time or that rebellious teenager who just happens to live in your home? Perhaps they're wondering the same thing about the person who won't look them in the eyes or acknowledge them as a person or take the time to listen and try to understand. I wonder, what would the world be like if everyone chose to enter into I-thou relationship with others? How would people treat one another if everyone truly believed that in practicing radical hospitality, the divine entered our lives and with it came opportunities for transformation and blessings we can't imagine? And what if radical hospitality didn't stop with other human beings? What if we truly lived up to our seventh principle, which affirms that we are a part of the great web of existence in which everything is connected? Imagine our planet if we acknowledge the holiness of all of life and each of us generously made space for every living being so that all of creation received what it needs to flourish, even as we receive that which sustains us. Knowing that there is risk involved, and that radical hospitality is hard work. Are we willing to share our humanity in relationship with one another, to open our hearts and to respond to the needs and suffering of others? When the answer is yes, powerful things happen that transform us, this community, and the world. In a message on Cyber Coffee Hour several weeks ago, one of the members of this church shared her gratitude for the support from so many of you as she struggles with a difficult challenge. She wrote, my family and I are receiving your support with an open heart. She wrote to me when I asked her about the email. She said, I feel deeply grateful, and it has made me even more aware of extending myself to others in our church that are also going through difficult times. The last time I was in church, I spent almost the entire time afterwards crying because of the overwhelming support I received. And now, even though I feel overextended with our family's stress, I will be at church at 10.30 a.m. this Sunday, welcoming new members so that I can share the good news of my caring faith community. This is good news. This is our faith at its very best, hearing and answering the Spirit's call to each of us to be both guest and host, and to give and receive what each of us needs to live. This is work each of us can do and work each of us must do if we are to grow as spiritual beings, which is why I think we're here in the first place. And if you and I We'll enter into I-Thou relationship with one another, open our hearts to meet the holy, and practice radical hospitality, listening with the ear of the heart. Together, we can build the beloved community. We can bring about the world we dream of and hope for, a place of peace and justice where all of creation lives in harmony together. Then we will truly be home. Amen, and may it be so.